Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Well, then let's jump right into it. We have a guest on the Mark and Talk cast. This is going to kind of like this episode is going to be like if you got the vinyl record of this episode, but you put side B on first. And so we're going to we're going to have a have our guest and topic first and then we'll do some uh, news at the end of the show. But we have a returning guest. It might be I was trying to think in the car and I did not verify in any way that. Um, our guest today was our first guest host for a topic, I believe, and now our first returning guest. And his name is Ryan Zeinert, who came on last time to talk about the Berenstein, Berenstein Bears and um, the Mandela effect and how he probably kicked off the whole thing in popular culture about the Berenstein Bears. Totally. So, I'd yeah. rather not associate <laughs> myself. I'll be on your gravestone. For legal purposes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy who yeah. figured out the Berenstain Bears thing <laughs> will be on your yeah. tombstone. Well, yes, I. Uh, it was. It, go ahead. It was fun until people started getting mad, and people started genuinely blaming it. And and what a time to be alive, where like that's something that makes people angry. You know, I mean, it, it kind of harkens back to a simpler, a simpler time where that's all it took. And things are so crazy that it is seen as if a, a, a real possible reason as to why things have changed so abruptly. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could be that could be like where the, the timeline diverted. I have thought about that. You before. identified yeah. the fork in the road. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the Loki variant. It's your your fault. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, welcome yeah. back to the show, yeah. Ryan. Uh, the reason we're having you on the show, so I had um, this past week, I was kind of finished with all the stuff that I was watching. My YouTube recommends were kind of all duds. And so I headed over to Mark's Netflix account just to poke around to see what he's been recently watching. <laughs> and aside from F-Boy Island, a thing, <laughs> a, thing, a thing popped up, and I don't think you were watching it, but it was a... A trending now or something like that and it was called pepsi where's my jet yes and it's a documentary or it's a i guess a limited series or whatever <clears throat> it's like a four episode documentary yep. series about this yep. contest from uh from pepsi in the mid 90s that i vaguely remember um when they started doing pepsi points that you can buy uh, merch from them at the end of the commercial as like a <clears throat> zany as a zany joke, you know, they had the, you can buy a shirt, you can buy a hat and then a Harrier jet enters the frame and it's like, or a Harrier jet for 7 million Pepsi points. And so uh, some guy, some kid took it seriously. And this documentary is about his pursuit of getting a Harrier jet from the Pepsi corporation. And so I had that written down uh, to to bring up on the show to say oh I'd like I totally recommend this yeah. this thing and then um, on Facebook Ryan you had posted if you guys haven't seen Pepsi Where's My Jet it's great and it reminds me of this time that 
Pepsi did this other thing in the mid nineties or whenever, whenever it was, and I was unfamiliar with that one and they didn't touch that on the documentary. So I, I reached out uh, frantically knowing that I wouldn't have time to put together my own topic and thought, well, it's, it's kismet that, that you posted that. So I invited you on to tell us that story. Thanks, man. Uh, uh, yeah, that was great. It was uh, in the essay that I wrote uh, was a Pepsi promotion in 2003 where they tried to give away a billion dollars. Nice. And you'd think it would be easy, but it's actually quite difficult to give right. away. Right. Well, and this dollars. is one of the things they did bring up in the Pepsi thing is not only was the, you know, the Harrier jet thing like a totally botched thing that that is a very interesting story in itself but that had happened after several other very disastrous pepsi promotional things including one in was it thailand or or singapore in in the philippines Philippines. Philippines. okay yeah (laughs) there's there's the little the american racism uh (laughs) sneaking into our conversation um but yeah that that actually resulted in in some deaths and so Pepsi already did not have a very good track record with some of these promotions. And then, and that Harrier jet thing was like in 1995. And so this is in 2002. Is that what you said? Uh, It's 2003. I actually tried it again a year later. Um, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) What you were calling was uh, a promotion called Pepsi number fever that took place in the Philippines in 1992. And that, like you said, it led to deaths and rioting um, basically what had happened there was it was a redemption game. There were three digit numbers on under Pepsi bottles, Pepsi cans, and the grand prize was, it, it was equivalent to 40,000 American dollars. I think it was a million pesos or something. Yep. It was a, yeah, it was a yeah. ton exactly. of money. Uh, in 1992, 40 grand. Uh, yeah. Uh, and especially in a, at the time, very impoverished area impoverished uh, country so people were skipping meals they were just drinking soda all day they were trying to it's bad enough you know you probably shouldn't run a promotion in a country where it has it's it's so kind of destitute right um but then on the news one night they announced the number and it was a long story short it was a computer glitch and the winning number was i think i think two million people had had the winning number. Wow. And they they took to the street. Well, they took to the streets after Pepsi attempted to throw something like a hundred or two hundred dollars a piece at them. And they said, no, I want my money. They went to the bottling plant. Uh chaos ensued. Uh there were grenades thrown into distribution centers. There were firebombs. There was a Pepsi truck that uh, was sabotaged, which which you probably saw in the documentary may have actually been tied to PepsiCo themselves. Yeah, as a as a way to turn tail and uh, and, and leave the country. Uh, so, based on how well that went, <laughs> they decided <laughs> to try something. Uh, very similar in 2003. I, I wanted to talk about Pepsi Where's My Jet. What, what did you think about it, by the way? Do you re- do you remember that commercial, by the way? I vaguely do, and then I, I do. vaguely... Did, yeah. Mark, did you also watch... I, I watched the documentary. Oh, cool. I remember 
vaguely remember the commercial. Yeah. Definitely remember the news story at the time. Okay. Um, when And it wasn't even really meant out. to be a promotion. And that's kind of where that stepped into something because it was just supposed, I mean, it was literally something the ad, the ad agency came up with just as a zany topper to the commercial. <laughs> but instead of making it 7 billion or whatever, something untainable, it ended up being 7 million points. Right. And the, the documentary goes into and tries to lay out a, uh, the lay out a, a uh, situation where the advertising agency wanted it to be absurd. Right. And the documentary was uh, basically implying that the execs at Pepsi dialed back the absurdity to make it attainable so that uh, kids. kids would actually make make choices trying to get the Harrier jet and, right. and they deny all of that of course and there's right. no direct evidence but but yeah uh, it's interesting that the ad agency is drug into all of this <clears throat> which is is something but yeah so I vaguely and on the outset yeah sorry on, on the outset it sounds like a frivolous lawsuit and even I who remembered it I didn't think I was going to the documentary believing for a second that I would be empathetic in any way to the people who filed this lawsuit. Right, right. right. As you go along, <laughs> you're like, there yeah. is a certain amount of genuine, I want my jet. There's a, there's a moment where they turn down 750,000 or a million dollars. Yeah, a million bucks. Uh, a se- settlement opportunity. Uh, the kid, it, it, they did not lead on at any point that they were, their initial idea at the beginning was to sue Pepsi. Right, right. I recall seeing the commercial, and I think a lot of kids were doing the math in their heads at the very least. (laughs) Totally. Um, And immediately everybody goes into damage control mode and tries to blame somebody else, like you were saying, Mark, where the people who put the ad together wanted 700 million. Right. Yeah. Or something on there. Right. Yeah. That's too many zeros. Nobody will be able to understand that. 7 million. Uh, but at the same time, the commercial was already airing in Canada and other countries with fine print disclaimers on it. And, and I think that's the big point that right. uh, wasn't made yet was there there was no fine print yeah. at all. And it was attainable enough that the guy actually started to look into it. Right. And, you know, and their goal was, you know, shift consumer behavior. And and so by not having a disclaimer and making the points, you know, quote unquote, attainable, uh, you're, you're trying to shift teenagers activities and, and with a, you know, your brain isn't done yet, uh, (laughs) kind of mentality. Sure. Yeah. I want my jet. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the, the corporate shills, uh, in this documentary, <laughs> as soon as the lines start getting drawn and fingers start getting pointed, they're some of the cockiest dudes. They've... And they're so unlikable. And they're so unlikable that Michael Avenetti shows. <laughs> <laughs> Were you expecting that? Uh, that in the documentary. That left turn. It's actually in. in yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember. You know, I I never connected Michael Avenetti to yeah, he any wasn't of this. a name yet. He wasn't a name yet, and and when all the Stormy Daniels stuff was coming up, you 
I'd never heard a, well, he was the guy that did the lawsuit for the, you know, jet boy or whatever. Right. And, uh, and it's like that, that was a great moment in the documentary. A reveal. Uh, yeah. Mark, your zoom mic is on. That is that going to cause a problem? I don't know if it is or not. Uh, or do you have be, to have it on? That's, that's oh, the okay. feed into. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Ryan. That's no, okay. Um, it also made me realize that the, the the older friend of the of the jet guy, um, he he really was invested, no pun intended, in kind of the happiness of this kid because when Evan Eddie shows up and they go, we're going to take this to, to the media, we're going to get our money. This is going to be a smear campaign. The guy dips and yeah. he says, yep. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Yep. Yeah. And it, it it's it really is incredible. I it, it I think it goes down in history. Uh, similar to the hot coffee lawsuit, where it, it it seems in culture that it's the, an example of a frivolous lawsuit, but it really really isn't. And yeah. now it's and now it's in the law books. Yeah, right. it's one of the first things that that lawyers study. Um, Put that lemon, asterisk. Lemon PepsiCo. Need that yeah. small print. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did, were you a Pepsi household or a Coca Cola household, guys? Back in the day, nothing. My grandparents were Pepsi people, and I think in our house. Um, it was more of like carob chips and nothing that was soda. Uh, and so it was, we didn't really have soda. So we had, so I was Pepsi adjacent is probably the closest. Right. I, I think we had Pepsi growing up, but I'm definitely a Diet Coke person now. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I, I was raised primarily uh, with television, cereal, and soda. And we yeah. were a, a Pepsi household. Nice. For sure. Uh, <laughs> Although I did find, as as I get older, I find that my palate is more. I don't know. Do you, is Coca Cola more palatable as you get older than Pepsi, or do do you not drink Pepsi at all? I don't drink. I've I've sometimes <laughs> accidentally had the Diet Pepsi, and I do not care care for it at, yeah, at Diet all. Diet Pepsi is terrible, but but Pepsi. So if you took the Pepsi yeah. challenge, you would be able to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, because <clears throat> I think they use two different sweeteners. Yeah. But yeah, I've always um, been I've the, always been curious. I I did I have always heard because uh, the Pepsi challenge where you blindly taste test or whatever, usually Pepsi comes out on front because Pepsi is sweeter, and so in one sip, you're like, oh, that is really good. But if you drink a whole can, then you're like, ugh, or whatever. Whereas Coke, it's less sweet, but you can have more of the drink and like leave satisfied instead of uh, sugary. Right. Um, That's exactly what I thought and and why i feel like as i get older my palate prefers coca-cola more interesting i think the first drink of pepsi is better than the first drink of coke but the last drink of a coca-cola is way better than the last drink of a pepsi (laughs) yeah it's it's caramelized it's it's not consistent yeah so every day i think i am not i am not gonna love this first taste of diet coke fresh diet coke like i have in the past but every day dang nabbit i love it just as much as the day before and and i can't drink either of those with high fructose corn syrup i only drink the the mexican cokes yeah with with cane sugar really yeah well, my ex-wife was allergic to aspartame and it took us oh. a long time to figure out. And I mean, it was leading to the point where like there was some cognitive failure like that. She would forget stuff and she, like she locked the keys in the car while it was running once and like just really making. And she was not like a person that forgets or like yeah. does. And so we were like, what is happening? Because like over the series of, of a couple months, it was like getting worse and so she switched from like Diet Coke to like Coke Zero, which has a different sweetener, and it totally, 
totally re like returned her to her <laughs> former self. It was that's incredible. It was pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, and I I mean I've worked um, with special needs kids where they're like red dye. If you give them anything with red dye, they'll like legit freak out and like have a physical wow. and mental response. And like the kid huh. was blind, so he did not know. <laughs> what color he was eating and but you could tell like if you accidentally had red dye in something it was wow a huge meltdown freaking out meltdown huh. for the rest of the night it was wild um there, right there's aspartame warnings on packs of gum yeah for that oh, reason wow yeah and if you never had what happened to you it could seem frivolous but that's that's really incredible yeah it i mean it was legitimately scary um ryan when you go to a restaurant and you're ordering a beverage, what do you call yeah. it? Oh, good question. Uh, well, I'll start by saying, <laughs> being from the Fox Cities and the Midwest and Northeast Wisconsin, I come from a, a, a pop county. Okay. Uh, that being said, I made the effort to phase it out of my vocabulary and living in Madison for the past, I don't know how long, I, I definitely say soda. So oh, but I come from a pop. I definitely come from that kind of uh, pop pop background. Yeah. If you look at the, the map. Now, Mark, yeah, you and I pop. might might I be similar in that. What did you call it? I, I think we always called it a Coke. We always called it a Coke. And yeah. you would go to like Taco Bell and be like, I'd like a gordita. <laughs> and oh, let's see. I'll have two Cokes, a Sprite and a root beer, meaning I want <laughs> right. two drinks, a Sprite and a root beer. And then I moved to Washington and I don't even know what they call it. I think they call it soda. I don't know. But so both of them feel so like juvenile in my mouth somehow. Like I can't say either of them without just feeling like I need, yeah. need to take a tinkle or something like that. <laughs> Was Coke a Southern thing? Southern California. <laughs> yeah, Southern California. Was I, yeah. All Coke. I, think I think uniquely I think Southern California. Of, I think it's a reminder of how huge the market share was for Coca Cola. Right. Soda yeah. was Coke. Yeah. And that's why Pep Pepsi was doing whatever they could. Oh yeah. To break in and grab some of that market share. Yeah. Yeah. Gr grift a bunch of people in the Philippines. <laughs> not give a jet to a child in 1995, <laughs> and then in 2003. Uh, try to make this huge splash yeah by giving by attempting to give away a billion dollars so and they went over three yeah so i don't really remember the billion dollar giveaway can describe what with the what was the premise i a, a couple of years ago i was thinking about it and i i, I had the same feeling. i was like, I wonder if every, anybody else remembers that so i went to look it up and there were very few articles about it most of them were from ad or trade magazines about how how bad it failed it, you know it, it's, that's pretty much and then there was one really good article i think it was in psychology today it was it was a psychologist trying to analyze why it failed so badly um and his assumption was that the concept of the difference between a million and a billion is very hard for people to comprehend and in 2003 specifically when billion wasn't thrown around nearly as often as it is now right yeah i don't know it seemed a little hockey but um I, I, they definitely had a problem from the beginning because they had started to uh, market they said we're going to give away a billion dollars and we're going to give out a billion game pieces in the united states every single pepsi product is going to have this code you can redeem it on the internet and uh we're, we're gonna out of a billion we're going to select a thousand people through a random draw 
and uh, they're going to be invited to participate in this. And the first sign that there was a problem was that they only received 20 million entries from 4 million people. They had put out enough game pieces for every citizen of the United States to enter three times, <laughs> wow. and they got 4 million people. Uh, the idea of we're giving away a billion dollars, what more do you want from us? And I, I think immediately they realized that this was going to be a, 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 a long road. A dud, Yeah. Now, do you think there wasn't, there was not excitement because people didn't think it was real or that wasn't enough? I mean, cause that, I mean, yeah. What, what, what more do you people want? The idea, I, <laughs> yeah, there was a ton of fine print now, uh, in, in the wake of the, the, the jet fiesta. <laughs> it was I don't all know if that was print. still looming in people's heads, but it, uh, the, the, the psychology today article posits that it would have been a lot more popular if they had said, we will guarantee that we're going to give away $10 million yeah. as opposed to saying you may win a billion dollars. Oh, right? totally. I, I think anyone who wouldn't normally go out of their way to sign up for the contest didn't even think twice about it because the odds were so astronomical. Yep. Um, so much so that Pepsi themselves didn't even want to be on the hook in the event. I was going to say, so in order to, had... in order to win, was it like you had to match your number or out of the pool, they were thinking we pick somebody, somebody is going to win. They had said that they were going to give away a million dollars. Someone was guaranteed to win a million dollars at the end of this, uh, whittled down to a thousand, which is, will come onto this game show that we'll talk about later. And out of those people, one person will win a guaranteed million. And from there, based on a whole litany of decisions that they've made beforehand, <laughs> they may be eligible to hit the billion dollar number. Uh, and that I don't think was enough in 2003. Right, I don't think a right. million at this point. Um, so yeah, again, Pepsi, despite being an enormous company, they got themselves insured in the event that somebody actually did win this. And ironically, I looked this up. They were insured by Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> who is what is famously run by Warren Buffett. And if he if there's one single thing <laughs> that Warren Buffett made famous as far as in his investments, it was Coca-Cola, <laughs> totally. which I found was quite ironic. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and the odds were do you guys play the lottery at all? I, not really. I keep meaning I do, to every now and I then. I do, and I can I can talk at length about the psychology in my head yeah. of lottery because uh, ever since like two weeks ago, there was the two billion dollar uh, lottery. Like yeah. that has been spinning in my head every single day, and so I we can talk about the lottery if you want. <laughs> Um, do you only play when it gets when the jackpot gets enormous? Uh, I only play when the jackpot goes over five hundred million, which is crazy yeah. because that just is the larger the number of, of proof that the people don't win, uh, <laughs> which is interesting to me. And I get the I, I always I, think I, that too, but it's I, like I know <laughs> the the odds of winning are only you know one in like. 300 million or, or whatever. And so once it reaches a, uh, it, it is not logical and it is not something that I'm right. proud of. Right. Uh, right. No, but so, it does fulfill this little psychological. Totally. What and if. So I will spend $10 on yeah. tickets when the drawing goes over. Cause yeah. Cause like, what's the worst that happens? You're out $10 <clears> and you I a billion plot from the moment 
that I discover the ticket, I plot every moment after that. And that runs through my head. I, the relationships, wow. the conversations I'm going to have with you, <laughs> I've plotted the conversations with Brian. I won ten dollars, like, Todd. Here's five. Not, uh, coincidentally or incidentally, uh, Oregon is a state that does not allow you to claim a lottery anonymously, and oh, so you have shoot. to be public. Uh, I didn't know that. It, it says right on their website. It's one of their FAQs. I've looked for like loopholes. Loopholes. Can, can you be a corporation? And uh, you can't. Uh, in Oregon, if you won it, your name is going to be public. Wow. And so I will be changing my name. <laughs> like there's no question. Uh, because in, in the Same end, in that $2 million or $2 billion winning, you would have $600 million in your account after taxes and after the split and, and everything. So, so I like, well, I will first go to, and I know two very wealthy people. Yeah. And I will first have conversations with them. And and because they don't have a skin in the game for trying to yep. like get, oh, money, from get money from me. Like I know a person who's the grandson. <laughs> Alfredo's of, the first person right. you're, <laughs> you're right. knocking he, on. <laughs> his, his, his grandfather started UPS and he's lived <laughs> a very wealthy life. And I know a, a, a VC fund guy okay. who has pocket change that you know yep. is more than I'll ever earn. Yeah. And um uh, and I would have and he's a lawyer. And oh, so perfect. I would have deep conversations with him about what now? What now? I don't know how to be rich. Uh yeah. you know, and I don't know what you know. And so I'd set up uh, you know a hundred trusts with six hundred six million dollars in each trust and I'd only operate off wow, of one of those really trusts have and ninety nine would a be a lot about like this. And, and so like I yeah. I Yes, I have. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, no, that's great. So I play the lottery. Is the answer to your question, Ryan? <laughs> well, the, irony, the irony is, I'm the same way. I'll, I'll I'll be driving on the highway and I'll see the jackpot is fifty million, and I'll go. I don't need. I don't need fifty million. <laughs> I Let just, me know when it's a billion. I just did this at the store, and I was like, two point four million. <laughs> what am I a schlub? I'm get out of my car. I'm not gonna get out of my car and go in and get a quick pick. That's insane. Uh, here's um, would so, you. Go ahead. So in in Oregon State, we also have Mega Millions, which mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who's ever played that. It's up to three hundred and fifty million dollars right now. Is that the one they shared with like seven different states? I don't know. There's like I don't know I, anything I, I, about it. It's it's like Powerball is the only game to me. I don't even know how to pay. I guess you just match the numbers. That's yeah, it. Yeah, it's six numbers. A guy picked five in Oregon. He won a million bucks. Wow! But he didn't didn't pick the Powerball. So. That's how they get you. So, Mark, would you would you be a an annuity guy or a lump sum? Guy? Lump sum, definitely lump sum. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, but mm-hmm. I thought about at the two billion dollars that basically be sixty million dollars a year for the next twenty years. But because I'm f- over fifty, uh, I want it all now <laughs> because I might not live to be seventy one uh, with the lifestyle that I would lead. Uh, <laughs> F boy <laughs> Island isn't going to visit itself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're going to build itself. Are you kidding? I'm going to own it. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, I, I've thought about it. So Owen Mark Middleton <laughs> owner, comma F boy Island. <laughs> so part of, part of the, the struggle with being a, a lottery winner is, uh, and this is coming from like 15 years ago, there was a, a, 10 years ago, there was a Reddit thread of like 
people who got rich suddenly, what's your life like now? Mm -hmm. And there was a lottery winner guy uh, who was miserable. He's like, I've tried all the things, I've done all the things, I've spent all the money, and I'm not, I'm single. Uh, There was also a guy who, he was the founder of a gaming company that got sold to EA or something, and he made, overnight, he made $60 million. And, And so his approach was markedly different. He's like, I won't buy a boat for a friend, but I will take time and build a boat with a friend. Right. And, uh, and it's much more about experiences. And also, um, the, um, uh, the guy from MySpace, Tom from MySpace, he's now a photographer and and he has a big Instagram thing. Uh, and so he takes his funny for a photographer to have that, picture as his like the one thing everyone knows he's is that now a photographer okay. you know, he got 500 million dollars he's know, like i can't take, any, can't take pictures at all <laughs> he, he he got his 500 million dollars as the buyout and so now he travels around the world and i looked this up like three years ago before covid and everything i don't know what he's doing now yeah. but uh before covid he was just traveling around the world with his, his significant other taking pictures and i'm wow. like that's actually really intriguing. And, uh, and so that's probably the route I would take is yeah. much more about experience than stuff. My like, dream would be to go apprentice different places. Like, yeah. Oh, I want to learn how to be a blacksmith. Right. I'm going to do that for a couple months and right. then I'll learn this and, and then I'll, and what's interesting is none of these things that we're talking about now require a billion dollars <laughs> to do. <laughs> and so and he doesn't have to testify in front of in front of Congress <laughs> on a weekly basis. Exactly. He really he really cut bait when he when when he should have. I, I'm I'm happy for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So back well, to our Pepsi billion. That, oh yeah. Sorry. This was uh, this was what happened, Mark and Todd. If you took the annuity on the billion, so like you, you register. You've already got the money spent in your head. Forget the million. I'm going to win the billion dollars. Right. Um, I want to read this so I get it right. Um, if you had won the billion dollars, you had the opportunity to receive a lump sum of $250 million. Not bad. Okay. 25% though. Right. Or an annuity that spread out over 40 years. And here's how it worked. Years 1 through 20 was $5 million a year, which equals $100 million. Years 21 to 39, $10 million a year, which equals $190 million. And then the 40th and final year would be $710 million. Oh, my Lord. Under no circumstances did they have any aspersions that they were going to be giving away any more than $250 million. Wow. I think it seemed pretty obvious. Wow. Um, no one was going to take that. Right. And even if you did take that, you had to assume that you were going to make it 40 years. Uh, even if you met all the requirements, that means you're going to be 60 years old at a, at a minimum. I bet there's and, a I bet there's a firm out there that would pay you 70 percent of that in exchange for that annuity. Take a cut. Yeah. 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 You could sell so it. Th- they had I bet you- right away. They, it was pretty evident that this billion 
was not going to be happening. It, it was going to be two hundred and fifty million at best, or if we're being logical, it was just going to be a million dollars. Right. So people were already kind of soured to it. <clears throat> so the thousand people get selected. They find a thousand people randomly out of I think, like I said, the the four million people in the twenty million entries, and a thousand people are selected to be flown to a soundstage in Los Angeles where they are going to participate in this game show broadcast on the WB, <laughs> wonderful defunct network, the WB, <laughs> in a uh, a two-hour-long special that's also going to be advertising their fall lineup. So okay. wonderful shows like Tarzan, <laughs> shows that we all remember, the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Uh, it was I wonderful. Loved it was show. a great, great time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, homeboys in outer space. I hear with <laughs> <laughs> the secret, the secret diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Anyone remember that one? No. Mm-hmm. It was about uh, it was about Abraham Lincoln's um, black butler, I uh, believe, <laughs> who really was the brains behind the operation. I believe hmm. that was the conceit to the show. And now the CW is going away. The CW is up for sale too. So wow. I'm that as well. I don't know huh. if you watch anything on it, but yeah. Um, the Arrowverse, boy, that, that they're, <laughs> that's lo- losing losing their whole platform. I, I want to. I hung in there with the Flash. I watched every episode. No, I, I'm I still all I, caught up. I don't think I've ever yeah. watched anything from the Air, the Arrowverse. I don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Doesn't matter now. Uh, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> so this is a two-hour show on prime time in 2003 on the WB I'd say an hour and 45 minutes of it is just them plugging the fall lineup interspersed between Pepsi commercials and Jamie Kennedy and Drew Carey (laughs) and Holly Robinson Pete from hanging with Mr. Cooper Uh, she was one of the hosts (laughs) (laughs) so there's a thousand people there but it actually turns out that there's 992 of them because apparently eight people had something better to do <laughs> than win a guaranteed million dollars. So eight of them didn't show up. Uh, <laughs> they are all then asked to pick a six-digit number. Any six-digit number will do. They put microphones in people's faces in the crowd. One of them said that it came to her in a dream. One of them said that they just pulled it at random, birthdays, whatever. And uh, from there, let me go back to my essay real quick. Sorry, guys. I want to make sure that I get this right. Yeah. Um, Yes, here we go. Um, In addition to the thousand people picking a six-digit number, if that six-digit number matched with what eventually would be the six-digit number that Pepsi picked, that would be how the person won the billion dollars. Okay. And to determine how... That number would be picked. I want to quote executive producer Maddie Lesham, who says the following, quote, an unusually dexterous monkey will decide. It's the ultimate slap in the face to evolution. The fate of a billion dollars will be in the hands of a monkey. And sure enough, backstage with, you know, Ernst and Young, a bunch of accountants and briefcases (laughs) in a secure room, is Holly Robinson Pete and Mr. Moneybag, who is a chimpanzee in front of a burlap sack full of pool balls, which he will then draw, eventually draw the six-digit number from. 
And this will be the number that the people in the audience have to match. Wow. Uh, and what a weird flex of that producer to be like, F you primates. <laughs> like, <laughs> why bring them into this? Like, evolution. We're already making evolution. Mr. Moneybags participate against his will, his or her will. So, you have to be so mean about it. Uh, uh so not only is it convoluted beyond all comprehension already, it's it's offensive too. It's mean <laughs> spirited. Uh, um, <laughs> so Holly Robinson Pete rolls a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons dice, and from that, those numbers turn into cue balls that go into the sack. Mister Moneybags then pulls six numbers out of the sack. Jeez. That's the six-digit number that is that is going to be the billion-dollar number. It is withheld from the audience until the end of the broadcast because before that we have to figure out who's going to win the million and uh who, who will then have a chance for the billion so out of the thousand or the 998 people the six or the 10 i should say sorry the 10 people whose six digit numbers were closest to mr Moneybags's number get to come up on stage and play the next part of the game for the million dollars and it's already needlessly complicated. <laughs> and the whole time they're trying to make it interesting. They're throwing to the back. They're throwing to Jamie Kennedy who's walking around interviewing people. Uh, they're giving away vacations. They gave away a vacation to someone whose number was the furthest away from the number. They Things like that. But um, <clears throat> what it comes down to is ten pe the 10 people that are closest get up on stage. Again, nobody knows what the number is. So they now have to participate in this bidding game where each round they have a jackpot of $10,000 that goes up to $100,000. And each round you have the option literally of like a deal or no deal. You can either assume that your number is the closest and not hit the buzzer in front of you, or you can hit the buzzer and guaranteed take the money that was allowed in each round, 10, 20, 30,000. The idea being that the, at the end of each round, the number furthest away would be kicked off no matter what. That's it. That's the whole thing. Jeez. If it sounds if it sounds needlessly complicated, it's because of this. So these 10 people, uh, one of them was playing as a surrogate for someone who was getting an appendectomy. That was the most interesting part of it for me. This person was just there as a mercenary. Probably wouldn't even get any of the money. <laughs> Thought that was very interesting. So one by one, these people get picked off. Um, I, I noticed the women were taking the sure things. 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. They were doing the math. We're out. It was the guys that all thought, my number is going to be the closest. I think it's going to be fine. And all of those people were sent away with nothing, which I thought was uh, quite fantastic. <laughs> so, <clears throat> we get down to the last two people. The one guy, I think his name was Richard. He's, he looked like, I, I think he was an elementary school art teacher. Seemed like this sweet guy, terrified. He's got suspenders on. He's never been on television his entire life. They ask him what he would do if he won the million or possibly the billion dollars. And he immediately starts crying. And it's it's good television. He says, you know, my, my mom passed away of cancer, and I'd like to donate some of it to cancer charity, and I have a tithing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my church, and, you know, I just want to make the world a better place for people. And the crowd applauds. And then they put the microphone onto the other guy who's maybe a 23-year-old with <laughs> frosted tips because uh, it's 2003. And they asked him what he would do. And he said, I would buy a Dodge Viper. <laughs> That's the first thing he said. And he said that after Richard, after Richard said all that stuff about cancer. 
two chicks just at the it. same time. <laughs> yeah. Sociopathic. Didn't even blink. It was unbelievable. That's amazing. Uh, he could have lied about it. Anything. He could. <laughs> but he did. Viper. He said, I'm going to buy a Viper. Uh, they hold out. Neither of them hit the buzzer. It turns out that the sociopath's number was further off. And Richard, the elementary school art teacher, wins the guaranteed million dollars. Wow. He gets it. And as it turns out, his number was the closest to Mr. Moneybags' number the whole time. So he, as long as he didn't opt out and hit that buzzer and take the smaller amount of money, he was going to win the million no matter what. Fantastic. Well, there's still a few minutes left because now we get to see... If the six-digit number he picked was the number that the monkey picked. And it was closer than it had any right being. He had five of the six numbers, I think, if I remember correctly. Wow. I bet everybody was sweating when those numbers were Oh, my up. gosh. It was pretty incredible. Uh, he, came very, he came very close to winning. Uh, but it's, it, at the end of the day, a man won a million dollars. So he didn't, have to, he didn't have to put up his million dollars in order to be eligible. Like, he didn't have to make that choice. He was guaranteed the one million either way. That's correct. Okay. He, he, was, he was, someone was guaranteed the million. Um, I, I, guess if, I guess if you had had the million dollar number and opted up. No, it would have gone to the person who held on the longest, I think, regardless. Okay. They showed the million dollar number. Wasn't close enough. Goodbye, everybody. And then nobody, nobody ever remembered. <laughs> and the That's... C. And then uh, I think three years later, the WB went off the air. <laughs> so does does footage of this exist somewhere? There's a two. I'm, the into- lo- I'm looking at. Yeah, it. I, I went back two and, and I, I to. Yeah, to to write my essay, I went back and I essentially recapped it um, in, in my essay where I went back and watched it and and followed it through. Wow. Um, there, there was one guy, Drew Carey, puts the mic in his face and said, oh, you know, do you drink a lot of Pepsi? You know, because it's, it's all a big commercial. <laughs> the guy's like, well, yeah, I entered all the codes that I had in, in Pepsi bottles that were laying around my car. And Drew Carey goes, oh, wow, you might be a billionaire because you're a slob. Fantastic. Who's next? And he just moves on to the next <laughs> It seemed like nobody was particularly invent. There was like no... Uh, it, it didn't seem positive, like positive marking for PepsiCo that night. But. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of <laughs> shocking. I don't remember, I don't remember that like at all. I probably, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. A two hour time slot to fill. What a nightmare. <laughs> poor, poor Drew Carey. <laughs> it was. And poor Drew Carey, uh, poor Jimmy Kennedy for a lot of reasons. <laughs> poor, poor Holly Robinson. <laughs> poor Holly Robinson. Poor Pete. Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> There's a moment, there's a particularly tragic moment where Mr. Moneybags is backstage with the <laughs> Ernst and Young people, and, and he knows what his job is. Mr. Moneybags understands what's, what the He's hitting is. He's his marks. He balls out of the bag. That's right. And they look at, at him, and he starts to pull a, a, a cue ball out of the bag, but uh, they weren't ready yet. So one of the one of the accountants grabs his hand and kind of snatches it away from him. And it, it's kind of heartbreaking, but I thought... <laughs> there's a really good chance that that monkey might've killed that guy. And then everybody would know what had happened that night. Live on television. <laughs> a monkey rips the face off the Ernst and young guy. Wow. Uh-huh. Now there's yeah, a now scandal. That's publicity you can't pay for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> amazing. Wow. So yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope Richard's doing good. I, I, I yeah. trust that he did what he 
that he was going to do. I hope so. I hope so. But it, but it, it falls into the bin. It falls into the dustbin of failed marketing opportunities. It's, it's right there with the McDonald's Arch Deluxe and the the McDLT and I don't know Uh, ketchup. I suppose keeping the hot side hot, hot, the cool cool side side cool. cool. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And who was in that commercial? A a young uh, Jason Alexander. Oh yeah, 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 dancing and singing down the street with his burger. That's exactly right. Wow, that is funny. <laughs> what a great story. So you kept you you mentioned several times that when you were writing your essay, is this an essay people can uh, find on their leisure and read all the re- read it all? Yes, uh, I'm on at the the cdp.net. The blog is called Latchkey Kid, where I try to write about mostly personal childhood ephemera, but then I get into pop culture stuff, just basically what I've always, you know, been doing for the last 20 years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Boys. Stories that vaguely tie into my childhood, but uh, then we're going to talk about. Boy. And that's a, I, I still have, I had a visceral, re- visceral reaction to uh, hearing a, a CD, uh, your, your, your website. It's yeah. the same URL. It's, it's the, the, that's you know, how we met kid now. And yeah. And, and I'm on Substack now, but uh, oh, nice. it's still, still the same URL. Okay. Yeah. So yes, yeah, C nice. C is in Carol, and... D is in Derp, and then P is in Progress, <laughs> or Communist okay. Dance Pterodactyl. Party. Yes. Right. Yeah. For the for the old heads. Yes. Yes. So, well, I appreciate you coming on. That was a that was a great a great little trip down memory lane that I didn't have a memory of, but now I'm glad that I do because yeah, there's all those neat little marketing fiascos that that have happened that we kind of forget about throwing the old pop culture out to to try to fit new pop culture in the car as we speed along so it's always good back to to look back at some of the roadkill and one final thing if you go back and watch the commercial for the 2003 play for a billion you will see a young pre-office john krasinski in the commercial as a little nice (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, and and speaking of Pepsi uh, promotional disasters, the one that hasn't come up is the one involving Madonna's Like a Prayer video, because they paid her uh, five million dollars and and we're going to uh, sponsor her world tour. And she made uh, a very famous like two minute commercial that aired after the Cosby show and like 750 million people tuned into it. The next day is when she released the Like a Prayer video, which is her dancing in front of burning crosses and in a church and religious imagery and all that. And of course, the world exploded. Pepsi canceled its deal with Madonna that day. Uh, Madonna still got to keep the five million dollars, which is pretty badass. But yeah, so she had to delay her tour and do all this other stuff um, because of that Pepsi fiasco from from her video coming out. We at PepsiCo cannot have Madonna sullying the good name of Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that all the time. All wow. how trashed I always got uh, growing up for oh, dude, such a sinful thing to like Madonna or whatever. Be more like Bill Cosby. It's like, well, yep, oh, sure. the Simpsons. <laughs> totally, yeah, totally. The Simpsons. I remember the Simpsons v, v Cosby was was a big deal at the time. Oh well. yes, and the first time the Simpsons finally beat Cosby, and oh yeah, oh, what's up? Great '80s drama there. Speaking of Homer, won the war. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that he did In more ways than one. Well, thanks again for for yeah. donating your time to the Mark and Toddcast. It was great talking with you again. Thanks, buddies. Happy holidays. It's good talking. To you. Yes, you yeah, too. You I, too. I can't. I can't wait to be excited on February one, where I rediscover that you and I share the same birthday. 
<laughs> oh, don't! It's like losing the game. Don't don't remind me. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. I want to be surprised. I want to be surprised again. <laughs> no spoilers. Awesome. All right, thank you, Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Sure. I don't have anything plugged in. Is there some transition noise? Or let me let me blindly push one of these buttons. So now we go to Mike McGrew who's a scientist at Rosalind Institute what? Scotland. From one of our Mike's segments. doing miracles with birds. Oh. So he'll take, say, fall. That's not the Star Trek theme, is it? Star. Why is this? Did this come pre in the board? No. <laughs> it's stuff I recorded and put it in there. Huh? No, um, all right. I think I made it for as background music for a segment that I was doing about. Something. Okay. Well, it's, it's nice. It's a nice, it's such a cozy afternoon here. The snow has stopped a little bit, but I, I texted you before as before I left church asking if you could have it be warm in this <laughs> room. And I appreciate it being, being warm. All right. That's enough. Uh, being warm. Um, so instead of doing a deep dive in, in some longer stories, we're just going to wrap it up with a couple of things. I've got a story for you. I've got a story for me and hopefully two other stories for everyone. First, the story for me. Did you share things with me? Oh, no, I didn't. Hold on. <laughs> I will intuit whatever your, <laughs> your story for me is. Mark Middleton, share with Mark. All right, I just sent that off to you. A man breaks into a Florida rental, takes bath before sleeping in the bedroom, says deputies. I'm up for anyone who is ready to take a bath at any moment. A man broke into a Florida vacation rental, used the bathtub, and slept in the bedroom before enjoying a cup of coffee on the porch. Deputy said Zachary Murdoch, 29, was arrested on Tuesday. According to the sheriff's office, Murdoch broke the glass door on the porch of the rental to get into the home. Deputy said the man used the bathtub, bedroom, and left a cup of coffee on the porch and a bus ticket stub in the trash, allowing... Well, at least they threw it away, allowing authorities to identify the culprit. Later mm. that day, the sheriff's office said deputies responded to another incident where a woman said a man tried pulling her pulling on her sliding glass door. Deputies said the woman reported the man said he was looking for Tony and left. Uh, the sheriff's office <laughs> located Murdoch nearby and took him into custody. So I do like. I mean, that's that's a choice to to not just use the shower but a tub because that <laughs> so, is a time commitment you are settling in for that re heating it up and bath. filling it up getting the bubbles ready putting that inflating that bath pillow so kudos to you Zachary Murdoch for loving your baths uh, this next story I cut out of uh, most of it, so I don't know if it just ends. Um, but there, it, this is the follow-up to another story that came out about San Francisco Police Department authorizing robots to kill people in the streets yeah. or whatever. Um, and they were saying, don't worry, our robots won't have guns. They are going to have other they'll military. Have, they'll have bombs instead. Right. <laughs> You're like, what? What? Wait, hold on. What? So some poor kid at, at Berkeley is going to tip over one of those robots totally. on the sidewalk and Oops. blow up his entire uh, his entire thing. Um, oh, that's good news. Why don't you read this next one? The Governor Kate. Governor, Governor Kate Brown pardons about 45,000 people for marijuana offenses. 
Out of uh, Salem, Oregon, our capital, Oregon Governor Kate Brown announces Monday announced Monday that she will pardon an estimated forty five thousand people for simple marijuana possession offenses, removing forty seven thousand one hundred and forty four convictions, wow. and forgiving more than fourteen million dollars total in fines and fees. Wow! Yeah. That is $14 million <clears throat> for 47,000 people. What's the math on that? Is 14. Hey, hey, computer, what's 14 million divided by 47,144? 14 million divided by 296.9. 296.9625. <laughs> there you go. Wow. So that is some good news. Uh, Starbucks closed its first look, the location that was first to unionize in Seattle, which I'm sure is just a a coincidence. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and finally, Mark, a story for you. Would you like to Would you like to lay back and 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 listen to it, or would you like to read it yourself? Go ahead and and uh, with your soothing voice, All right. read it to me. Here we go. Man finds a forty seven thousand dollar medieval ring. With his metal detector, a medieval wedding ring could fetch tens of thousands of dollars when somebody says, what? Uh, calm down, CNN. This is the first sentence of this news story. A medieval wedding ring could fetch tens of thousands of dollars when someone says, I do, at an auction this month. <laughs> a British man recently found a near-perfect gold ring from the 14th century in a field using his metal detector. Historians think it was given to a wealthy bride by her husband in 1388. Wow. The ring bears a French inscription which translates, I hold your face. Hold mine. Hmm. Experts think it'd be worth as much as $47,000 when it's auctioned off several days ago. There have been no <laughs> updates <laughs> that, nice. that I've looked for. So you can look for it yourself and see how, see how much that fetched. But what a dream. I'm sure metal detecting in Europe is a much different story than in America just because of the sheer amount of history that's buried under everything over there. Are, are you looking for a, a, a real-time follow-up to that story? Or are you just so, I thought maybe you just so completely tuned out no. that you're just getting some work done over there. Uh, yeah, any, any, <clears throat> any updates? Oh, I will find our ending clip here. Um, um, <laughs> not yet. Not no, this yet. This was the day of Unearth. They went to the British Museum, inscription in French, discovered a bronze axe. Um, All right. Well, the, perhaps no, perhaps nothing. we'll do a follow up, which means we won't be doing a follow up. Yeah, right. so. But thank you for everyone for joining us. It was nice to be back <laughs> in the seat and recording again. Um, you have you can play sound off of your computer, right? I can. Why don't we uh, go out with the Pepsi commercial that was for the billion dollar contest that um, that Ryan talked about. Thank you again, Ryan, for hopping on the show. And if anybody else out there that is listening would ever like to come on and talk about something interesting or that you're passionate or that you uh, learned recently, just drop us a message because that would be super fun and super easy to do uh, over Zoom or in person if you'd like to visit. Um, but yeah, we will go out with the commercial for that Pepsi contest. Thank you guys for listening. All right. We'll talk to you later. And you, Wyatt, how'd you make your first billion? Oil and cattle. Let's call it offshore banking. 
And you, oh, Jones, are all curious. How'd you make your first billion? Me? Oh, Pepsi. You invented Pepsi. Oh no, I I just drank one. <laughs> what your first billion? And that and man was John John Krasinski. You guys got a foosball table? Check specially marked Pepsi product. <laughs> bye bye.